Hey guys, hey ladies, hey friends, hey foes. We just wanted to take a second to remind you that while we're okay swearing when little ears are listening, you might not be, and that's okay. So here's your chance to pause us and wait for nap time, or pop in your earbuds. We hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Done Playing by the Rules. I'm Jenna. And I'm Janelle. And I want everyone to know that's watching, not watching on YouTube, that Jenna just got back from a run and is wearing a fully sweat soaked shirt. It's, it's my favorite look we've had. <laughs> it's my favorite look we've had debuted so far in all of our 25 ish uh-huh. episodes. Well, <laughs> I'm not just nasty, but I'm about to go like work in the garden after this. So I was like, there's no yeah. point in changing. And no. then, and plus, update. If you've been following along, I had a tear in my labrum, which is in my hip and cartilage. So I got a cortisone shot, which was a bitch, but I've been able to run the last two days and it's been since May that I haven't been able to run. So I've been like every chance I get able getting out there to run. Yeah. Like Jenna was like, I can't record yet. I need to go run. She's so excited. And I think that is an interesting point though. It's like, I never knew I've known my whole family is bad hips and everyone gets cortisone shots and we've never Mm -hmm. talked about it. But Jenna does, some people Mm -hmm. do not take it well. And we've read a lot of the side effects. So just so you know, if you get a cortisone shot and your doctor doesn't prepare you, you can feel kind of, kind of shitty for a week or so. Um, or two weeks. Yeah. It, it's awful. Is and like, you two full. Oh my God. Well, I'm coming up on week two and she, the you are, yeah. radiologist, I called her. Um, cause I was like, Oh, is all of this normal or what? And she was like, it's in your body for two weeks. So you could feel stuff up to two weeks. So <laughs> yeah, but all my family's oh my had God. cortisone shots too, and they don't get it, but I'm the person that gets side effects from cold medicine and everything. So my body yeah, just doesn't like it, but no, no, thank with, you. Yeah, I can't yeah. take NyQuil or DayQuil or like half of that. Like I can take Tylenol usually and Sudafed and that's about it. What Everything do you do? Else, get I like, to like lay down. Crazy? Sudafed. I get all my cleaning done if I have really bad allergies. And then, <laughs> um, but I can't, like if I have a cold, I don't take anything. And a lot mm-hmm. of it doesn't mix well with like antidepressants and stuff. So research that also. There's some stuff in oh, cold medicine you know. that's really bad for anti and ang- antidepressants and anxiety. Yeah, that's interesting. So I'm gonna invite you over and put some Sudafed in your coffee and have you. Oh my god, you should see how much I can (laughs) clean on a Sudafed. It is bananas. I just found some in my purse. I was like, I haven't taken this for like a year, but my allergies aren't bad here because it's all grass in Illinois right now, and grass doesn't do anything to me. But Josh was literally up last night till eleven doing the neti pot and sneezing so loudly downstairs that I wanted to be like, you need to leave if you're going to (laughs) keep sneezing like that. It was stick some tampons up his nose, just neti potting and sneezing for an hour. And I was like, (laughs) we had storms all last week. So I'm still not rested from every Mm. night we had a tornado. It felt like, and y'all did. We are. We really got hammered last week. Okay. So today we're going to make you guys feel like parents of the year, because we're going to talk about things that we don't stress about with raising kids and the shit we get for it, especially with how competitive society is and how it seems like every little milestone or even birthday of your kid, it's like, oh, so are you X, Y, Z? And a lot of times our answer has been, nope. 
So get ready for a wild And also ride. things that we things that we have stressed about and uh-huh. are working to learn to not stress about. So we kind of want this episode, you know, to be the topics that you aren't talking about with your mom friends that you may be inside are feeling um, a little bit small in the parenting department in and mm-hmm. know that you're not alone if your three-year-old is still using a passy or Mikey slept in a crib. Like we're going to talk about cribs, pacifiers, mm-hmm. potty training, body parts, how we talk to our kids, food. why food. This was what started it was we did an episode a couple weeks ago about purity culture, which brought us into consent. And so mm-hmm. as I like to do, I went on my deep dive on how to make sure that I am not teaching certain parts of things and ignoring other parts. And so in my dive, I came upon that a big part of teaching kids consent is to listen to their bodies and not have food forced upon them. And so I grew up in, I remember two specific incidents, and there were probably a hundred more where you would have to sit at the table until you finished your food, even if that meant four hours. Mm -hmm. And it's the reason I have never eaten creamed corn again and the reason I've never eaten beef stew again. And my dad literally would sit at the table with me and make me eat it. And I don't know if you've ever thought about eating four-hour-old creamed corn, but it's a situation that I wouldn't Mm -hmm. wish upon anyone. I don't, I can't say like, I feel like a lot of my food issues, because I have food issues, or I feel like some of my consent issues stem, but it's a bigger part of that picture. And so mm-hmm. Jenna and I started talking and I was like, okay, so I read this article and it said, I read a bunch of articles that said, part of consent is your bot, your kid needs to tell you when they're hungry and be able to listen to their body and you're not forcing food on them. They need to be mm-hmm. willing receivers of food. And I was like, Jenna, you don't do this, mm-hmm. right? Because Jenna and I are such like nutrition conscious people that yeah. I was like, well, anybody that's super worried about their kids getting all their vitamins and minerals isn't just letting their kids pick their own food. And Jenna was like, ha, 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 I do it. <laughs> and so yeah, Jenna, tell us how you've been coaching me this week personally through moving mm-hmm. from three meals a day with one snack, everything really well balanced and you sit down at the table and you get a timer and you finish or you get an X on a chore chart to a more conscious way of eating. Yeah. I mean, I think first of all, this is a great way to teach your kids about consent at a young age that is applicable to their lives because we talk about consent Mm -hmm. in our house. And I think my kids already are kind of like, I get it, but I don't fully get it. Like they get it when it applies to them. So this is a great way as well as developing healthy habits with food. I have pretty healthy habits when it comes to food. Not perfect. I mean, I grew up in the nineties. Our rule was we didn't have to clear our plates, but if we ever said that something was nasty or disgusting, then we had to eat it because that was rude to our mom. (sighs) So we did have that. And my parents never forced us. Like we could say like, I don't like this. May I have something else? And that was completely fine. But if we said it like in a mean way, and we have the same rule with our kids because my husband is the cook. They can't be like, this is disgusting. I hate this. I'm not going to eat this because dad prepared this meal. And we don't cook things that we know our kids don't like. So for example, we make this like chickpea salad 
My son loves it. My daughter doesn't. So when we went camping this week, we had that, but we knew our daughter didn't eat it. So we said, you can have a different type of sandwich. Like we don't force our kids to eat anything. So that's one. We allow them to develop their palate as they choose. However, if it's something new, they do have to try it. They don't have to like it. They have to try it. We tell our kids that they're in charge of their bodies. They eat until they are full. And then we have to do a snack at night for my son because of blood sugar issues at night, but he's only allowed one. And so if he still feels hungry, he can have more dinner. We do a lot of intuitive eating. So I know, and it's kind of eye-opening when you do that, because you can really see when your kids are going through things. You can see when they're about to hit a growth spurt, they eat a ton before. And then when they're personally, when my kids are actually in their growth spurt, they don't eat as much. And their palates kind of change with that too. My daughter doesn't eat big meals and we never make her finish it and we never make her feel bad. She's clearly very healthy. Yeah. And I think Um, that's the hard part for me is like, I have given birth to, I think, well, now that we know that he has no celiac, mm -hmm. I have given birth to a naturally very lean oldest child Mm -hmm. and Every part of me feels like I'm not feeding him enough. He should Mm -hmm. because my youngest is so husky and I'm like, what am I doing wrong? He needs to eat more. So I'm constantly trying to push food on him. But I also think a big part of the consent piece to this is we've been working on this for only one week. So I'm not an expert. I'm just relying on Jenna. I like control. I like schedule. And it's very hard for me to lean into my kids' great, but I'm a grazer. So it's weird. Like I expect them to eat these meals at these certain times in this certain time limit with these exact same foods that I know have all of the nutrients they need. And now we're like moving into this weird grazing zone and it's hard. But I think a big part of this, the reason this is a part of consent, and it sounds like a reach if you don't read about it. And I can probably add some articles if you guys want, or you can just Google eating toddlers, eating and consent. But It's teaching my kids language that they will use in the future. Mm -hmm. So Zach has, and I've explained to him this week, like, if your tummy feels full, you need to verbalize and say, my tummy feels full. The idea that I've just been forcing my kids and not giving them the language to express their needs is something I've been trying to do a deep dive into this week. So that's just one of the topics that brings us into consent and all the other mm-hmm. things that but this is something that our older generation doesn't agree with as i'm right. sure you probably Well yeah i me. mean i've had well first of all i want to say that having your kids have a healthy relationship with food is very important one but two it teaches them at a young age to trust their body and so yeah. we always talk about like my body is saying it doesn't want this or my body is saying it needs this and i'm going to trust it And then that goes into feelings later on, like this situation doesn't feel safe. I need to get out. And so we just talk about like listening to our bodies and Mm -hmm. the reason we're designed this way with all of these feeling and senses and everything is because our body is telling us a warning or a need. And we need to respect that. I was going to say, when we have people come visit, if my daughter gets up and doesn't eat her meal, they're like, aren't you going to make her sit down? and eat her meal. And I'm like, if she says she's full, she's full. I will not send her to bed hungry. If she doesn't like something we've cooked, my kids both 
my daughter is three. They both know how to make a peanut butter sandwich and that's what they do. And sometimes there's times where she is similar to you. And she's like, I, my body doesn't want that right now. I just want a sandwich. And it's usually on times where she's really tired, has skipped her nap. And I think she just wants to like eat and go to bed, which I don't blame her. Um, But yeah, we don't push food. And if we're at somebody's house and they don't want to eat, we also don't serve them a huge plate. So it's not wasteful. We, my son, he will, he's good at knowing what he wants. And so he makes his own plate. And then he'll usually have seconds and thirds. He eats crazy amounts. But my daughter, we just start with a small amount. And so it's not wasteful. We can save it for leftovers for the next day or whatever. But it is hard when you go to other people's houses and they have kids and their kids are forced to finish their plate. And as a parent, I have to sit there and say, if my daughter asks to be excused, I, if we're all talking as a family, I'll say, like, you can be done eating, but you need to sit here and talk with us because we're having family time and we want to hear from you, but they're forcing their kids to eat. And it's, it's a hard thing. They're always like, yeah, they're like, why Why is it? And my kids are good eaters. I will say that. Like I've been very fortunate that my kids love food. The second you say food, they both come running to the table. Yeah. You have really good eaters. I, Zach is very like, he could probably go two days without eating and not think much of it. He would just act Mm -hmm. like a wild lunatic where Mikey will be like, he'll just walk into the kitchen and be like, I need blueberries. And he'll just sit down and eat like half a thing of like half. We have a giant container always ready of blueberries and Mikey will just sit and eat out of it like a trough and then just go on his way. But like, I think it's an important thing. So we're just here to tell you that we're experimenting. Jenna is Mm -hmm. already mastered the skill of not forcing food. (laughs) Okay, but here's my question for you. If Sissy doesn't want to eat the dinner and then she makes a peanut butter sandwich, does she have to finish the peanut butter sandwich or does she eat as much as she wants? I'm literally asking because I need to know more about this. Yeah, she eats as much as she wants. However, I'll say like, my kids are very active and if they don't eat it, then it also shows me that something else is probably going on. Either she's overtired or sick or maybe, or I kind of think back, did she graze all day and have snacks kind yes. of thing? Yeah. And cause I'm the same way. Like if I had snacks all day, I don't want to eat dinner and then you feel awful at night. So, but here's my like little nutrition plug is let's face it. If we had all junk food in our house, that's what my kids would want to eat. Yeah. So we do keep limited quote junk food and we do teach our kids about balance. And so we do say no to certain things, but say you can have this instead of that because you had X, Y, Z and your body needs this for energy. So we do teach them like about nutrition. It's not just like, oh, it's a free for all. The consent thing is hard for me, but I really, really genuinely want my kids to be able to listen to their body and describe, like you said, I want them to know that when their gut tells me a person is a creep, that's Mm -hmm. the same gut that's telling me I'm not hungry for this food right now and I should honor what my body's telling me. Right. And so with that, I think this is a great time because the other part of consent that we talked about, which is something I have stressed (sighs) over, is is having your kids say no to touch such as hugs Mm -hmm. and there's been instances where we leave somewhere and it's usually an adult, like a grandparent or somebody. And they're like, can I have a hug? And my daughter who is salty and I love it beyond belief. Oh, a lot so of times good. it's like, no. Yeah. And then it gets into the, 
well, aren't you going to miss me? I can't believe you're going to say bye and not give me a hug. And then it's this guilt trip for my daughter. And then she usually ends up giving a hug. And then I feel guilty for not standing up for her. And it's something Janelle and I have talked about. And it's something Janelle is really good about. And I struggle. I'm great when it comes to kids. I always tell my kids, like, you can ask them if they would like a hug because Ezra, my son, will hug anyone and Ezra anything. loves a hug. Yeah. That's why he's my best friend. Right. <laughs> and there's been times where like Zach's been like, no. And then you're like, I want a hug. And I'll take you a it. Hug. <laughs> but I think it's harder when it comes to the older generation because they see it as like, you hug me. They see it as an insult. Yeah. And like, I did this for your you. Like I bought you this toy. You need to hug me. Yeah. So how do you is so I have two points to that. Um, I did this for you. You should do this for me is quid pro quo, which Mm -hmm. Google it. And we don't play quid pro quo around here because someone buys you something. You don't owe them anything. Um, They bought it. And uh, and we say to our kids, like, don't do things for other people expecting a thank you. You do something Mm -hmm. nice for other people because it makes you feel nice. Don't ask for a thank you. And so that's my first point is you because I think that especially in girls and Mm -hmm. boys and how the world is, is it teaches that if someone does something nice for you, you owe them something. And that is something I really don't want for my kids. And using our body as payment, that's even a whole other issue. So cringy. And I can't even take credit for this because I think, so in Minnesota where my kids were born, there's a program called Early Childhood Family Education. And I did it from one to whenever we moved with the kids. And they taught us to prevent your kid being in an awkward position or you having to like intervene before the goodbye starts, say, we're getting ready to say goodbye now. Time to start thinking if you would like to do a handshake, a high five, a fist bump, or a hug. You pick what makes you feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And if you can, say that in the vicinity of the adult that is going to want a departure. Can we add in wave so they don't have to touch them? I've done wave too. Yeah, you can add in whatever because my kids always will pick a fist bump. And they have – I've seen it in schools where they put like uh, paper clips uh, or clothing line clips up on a board and the kid can tell the teacher what they need that day. Do you want a hug? Do you want an elbow bump? Because Mm -hmm. germs, like let's stop touching dirty little kid hands. I mean we saw family members that – aren't vaccinated outdoors a couple weeks ago. And I knew this was going to be like a goodbye hug situation. And so as we were all walking as a group to the car, I started to loudly say we are. Mm -hmm. And this also helps with saying goodbye, which Mm -hmm. some kids struggle with. So you start setting Uh, the scene. (laughs) Some kids who shall remain nameless, Ezra. (laughs) Um, And I do it with him too. You see me doing it. Ezra, we're going to get ready to say goodbye. And you do a great job of this too. Like, so let's start preparing how we're going to feel and how we want to say goodbye so their little brain isn't just like suddenly like in shock and saying start thinking and don't make them answer start thinking in your head do you feel like doing a hug a handshake a high five or uh whatever they like and so teaching your children first of all that they don't owe anyone anything for any item purchased especially if that um mm-hmm. currency is your body is yeah. important and also giving them other options instead of a hug so they don't feel forced to hug. And I got that great book on consent that talks mm-hmm. about like, you need to come sit on my lap. I haven't seen you in a year. Like, mm. 
You never have to sit on anyone's lap. And it's ideal if they're old enough that you can give them the tools so they can do it on their own. I don't doubt that Ezra could fully have a full conversation with an adult on why he wouldn't want to sit on their lap. Mm -hmm. But littler kids are hard, but Mikey is prickly. And so he'll just straight up be like, no, or he'll walk away. And if he wants to walk away and not acknowledge saying goodbye, that's his choice to just say like, Mm -hmm. all right, Mikey's not in the mood. So yeah, love you. Thank you for a great day. Add in a lot of the times the people that are saying this are people that are in our family, but we're not seeing all the time. So to our kids, they're strangers. And so if we went to visit them, they would be like, oh, we're family. Yeah. Come sit on my lap. Come cuddle me. Come hug me. Yeah. Or come give me a kiss even. And it's like, my kids are like, wait, this is a stranger to me. So they see these red flags. I I ain't kissing strangers. Right. But then as a parent, it's tricky because- because you, we co- it's yeah. only tricky because we come from a mm-hmm. time when you were required to be malleable to what adults wanted. If adults yes. had sit on my lap, you better get your little ass over onto that adult exactly. lap. And we're trying to break a generational situation mm-hmm. that is hard for a lot of people, especially Southern. Like, not to hate mm-hmm. on you Southern folks, but like – Elderly people being respected as kind of the all-knowing is very inherent in Southern Mm -hmm. culture, and it's less so in the North, but it's still like my family's old-school Irish Catholic, and hugs and kisses and all those things were very normal Mm -hmm. and not asked for, and I sometimes will hug people and not ask, and I'm like, ooh, creepy. Okay. (laughs) I love it. Well, and then even with that, I think it goes into like what you said about the respect. Something mm-hmm. we've talked about a lot in our family is standing, my kids standing up for themselves, even to adults. And yes. that is like a huge thing. It's so hard. Oh, we get a lot of pushback on that. I've talked to my kids. You have to talk with respect, but you don't have to be silent. You no. have a voice. You need to stand up for yourself if something isn't right or if somebody is doing something you're not comfortable with. And that has been very difficult. Well, it's even in our own I, house. I don't even know how to be an adult to other. Like, I don't even know how to right? tell an adult. I'm not an adult, so I don't know how to tell an adult off. Like, how am I teaching <laughs> little kids how to tell adults off? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, we tell our kids, like, even with mom and dad, like, if we're not talking to you with respect because we do slip up and we lose our patience, you don't scream and yell at us, but you have the right to say, I don't like how you're talking to me. I need a minute. And that has been one where we we really get a lot of pushback in terms of when people see us parenting and they see our kids say like, like we don't tell our kids like, okay, you're in timeout because you did X, Y, Z. And then they're not allowed to talk to us and they have to go sit in timeout. Like if they have a rebuttal and it's actually fact-based and they're not screaming at us, like we will listen to their side. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's been like, people are like, well, that's talking back. And I'm like, is it? Because to me, it's saying, no, I have a side of my story that you didn't see. And here it is. Now, mom, you can be the judge and either punish me or not. Because sometimes it's like, my daughter did something that we didn't see. And my son was actually like helping her or my daughter did something. We don't see everything. Oh my gosh. That's okay. Let's make that the most important. You parent, me parent. Don't see everything. And that was mine and Jetta's favorite part of our friendship was we had both come to the agreement that 
we would let our kids, and this is another point that is not popular with a lot of parents. I have yet to find mm-hmm. my new Jenna that will let the kids mm-hmm. fight it out. <laughs> I yes. won't. I know that. But like, I need a friend that will let the kids fight it out because mm-hmm. our kids aren't in public school. So they aren't having that peer review of their behavior on a regular basis like they would get in public school. This weekend, Zach was hanging out with a bunch of the neighborhood kids. I went home and went to bed. Josh stayed up really late <laughs> with the boys. But Zach had a big scratch on his knee and I was like, what happened? And he was like, oh, I fell. And he was being really evasive about it. And I was like, okay, well, what actually happened? And he was like, let's say the kid's name is James. James, I know. I know his mom. James is the most patient kid I've ever met. And Zach follows him around like a puppy. And I was like, he's like, James pushed me down. And I was like, oh, okay, well, what happened? And Zach was like, nothing, 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 nothing. 400 times said nothing happened. And I was like, you're not going to get in trouble if you tell me the truth. I always say you're not going to get in trouble if you tell me the truth. And he was like, I was bugging the shit out of James. (laughs) (laughs) But I was like. James probably said stop. A hundred times because I've seen him with Zach a hundred times. And he has come up to me and been like, Zach's hitting me with a stick and I want him to stop. And Mm -hmm. I asked him to stop and he won't listen. Like, I want my kid to get pushed down once in a while yes. by a really good kid. I'm sorry. Right. I, yeah. I said it. I'll say it again. Like, children need other children to teach them limitations. And exactly. if parents jump in every time and like, oh, my gosh, let's do judge, jury, executioner. Let's separate. Yeah. Let's maybe not play with that kid anymore. Like, that's not building resiliency in your kids. It's also not teaching them, like, social interaction appropriateness. Yes. Well, and that goes. <laughs> with siblings too, we as parents are not their referee. If we Mm -hmm. start interfering all the time and it's not saying never, because there's been times where Janelle and I have to interfere, like big sticks involved or (laughs) somebody got a fire poker out and we're like, okay, we need to interfere. Okay. (laughs) I mean, if there's going to be like, if there's tetanus involved sometimes we're up to date mostly, but right. Or if our kids (laughs) get really upset and really passionate, we do help them work through that. We, yes. They, we help them work through it. We don't solve it for them. If they're exactly. both screaming at each other, we will both tell me how you're feeling. Tell me what mm-hmm. happened. Tell me how we could solve this. You don't hate him. He is your friend. So right. let's figure out how we can solve this. We never are like, how dare you? How dare yes. you? Like, it's just, yeah. we're really trying to just verbalize what their screaming feelings exactly. are for them. And <laughs> help them to take a step back and think through everything. Because my son especially will get really worked up and it's like, you have coping skills. What are they? And then he'll Three, repeat. I'm yeah. like, okay, let's pick one. Let's do it. And that's the same with siblings because we're not their referee. So if we start interfering in sibling relationships, friend relationships, when our kids get older and go into the real world, they're going to be looking for that referee and for people to validate them. No, you need to be standing up for yourself. You need to understand that when you push someone's limits, there's a consequence. If you don't listen to their no, there's a consequence. And that's the best way for them to learn. Honestly. And that yeah, kid I mean, saved me from a lot of pain. Like every kid that I'm sorry, every kid that's a nice kid that I know you and I know you're a nice kid and I've seen you with my kids that pushes my kid down. Yeah. You're doing me a favor, to be honest, yes. because Zach can really take things to a level 12 and doesn't know the consequences. And he is mm-hmm. learning in nature um, how social hierarchies work. Exactly. And I love it so much. Yeah. And I will like insert especially with my kids. Um, 
because I don't want to hear it all the time. They're, they're good. They don't fight a lot, but like if we're RV tripping and the RV is super small, I will insert little reminders. Like, are you listening to her? Like if my daughter is saying no, no, no. And that's all I'll say, or I'll be like, I heard a no. And with my daughter, she is very spirited and she gets very passionate quickly. And so I'll just say, let's think through our actions before she gets to that boiling point. And it, it helps them. It's like little reminders, but I'm not so much like interfering, inserting myself, like let's sit down you on this side of the room. You want, and I'm not saying I've never done that. Like, but you're doing the right thing and reading about it this week, it's called narrating. And so Mm. the best thing you can do and what you're doing, and you've always been really good at is narrating. So you say, I heard a no, like you pretend you're Morgan Freeman in the background and I'll say, (laughs) I'll be in the other room and I'll hear the boys start to get heightened. And I'll say, Zach, I'm hearing Mikey start to get frustrated. Mikey, would you like to use your words to tell Zach what's bothering you? Because otherwise Mikey will just, and then just bite someone or hit someone or pinch someone. Yeah. Zach. And so narrating your kids' feelings, I'm hearing you feel frustrated. Hey, Ezra, I'm hearing your sister said no. Are you respecting her no? Uh, if you're narrating instead of interjecting yourself, I like that. you're building life skills instead of right. teaching them a script. And teaching a kid a script can only get them so far, but teaching them like, oh, I'm hearing things are getting elevated in there. Maybe we take a break and play a new game. I like that. And but with that, you do have yes. to give them the skills. So you do have to like build that first. You have to repeat it all the Mm -hmm. time. You can't say one time, like, I hear your voice getting elevated. What could we change about our feel? What are we feeling right now? Mm -hmm. It's going to be an ongoing thing. My goal is that when they're 20 and they're in a romantic relationship and something doesn't feel good, that they can say, okay, what doesn't feel right about this to me? And exit or stay in based on the feeling they have in their gut versus what society tells them. I love that. Let's hope for that, right? Please, please. So some other things that we don't stress about with raising kids, these are more like surface level, I feel like. Not all of them, but it'll hopefully make all of you out there feel less alone. Potty training was the hardest thing a Borgstrom has ever done. Well, only with your oldest, right? Yes, Zach. Mikey just did it himself the first two weeks of quarantine. I thought so. Um, Yeah. He was home and I was like, hey, we're going to be out of November. March 14th, 2020, we will be out of boom, school boom. for two weeks. I was like, cool, I'm going to potty train him real quick. Yeah. It happened and You're nothing ever went back. <laughs> We're still free, but he just like did it. But Zach was terribly hard. I felt immense shame around it. I still feel shame about some of the interactions he and I had because of how much it stressed me out because society – Especially the area I was living in at the time was an upper echelon suburb of the Twin Cities. And everyone there had kind of this moment of like, everyone should potty train by like, I think I had a couple friends that were potty training their kids by nine months, then 18 months was like the end of the line. And I was still struggling at three. And then because I was trying to force it, was still mm-hmm. struggling at four. And then all of the struggling in the world hasn't changed the fact that my oldest has some chronic issues digestively. And he still struggles sometimes with needing help going to the bathroom in terms of uh, constipation and things. And so here's just to say, if you are in the young throes of potty training, 
You can do everything right. You can do Mm -hmm. everything wrong. And you can still have a kid that has weird plumbing or a weird food allergy you can't figure out. And you're still going to have a kid that you have to stay home from activities for because of tummy troubles. And so I wish someone had said to me when I had a two and three-year-old, this is a struggle that's going to go on until he's seven or more. So chill the fuck out. Yeah. And Nothing with that, you can like, do is going to change it. I know. Well, and I want to say like whenever my kids turn two, everyone's like, oh, you're going to potty train? And I had- Can we a- not make that the question anymore? Like, you know how like yes. when people turn 30, they're like, when are you going to have babies? We've, assi- we've decided that's out. Can we ixnay the when they turn two, when are you planning to potty train also? Because it's just not a fun question. Sleep train, all of it. And like with my daughter, when she turned two, somebody I knew at the time was like, are you going to potty train? Because my daughter was potty trained at 18 months. Let me just say this daughter, not quotes, this daughter that was potty trained. There you go. There's the quote. Potty trained at 18 months. We knew them and she was three at the time was every time we played with them, still having accidents. So to me, I'm like, she's not potty trained. If you're having to clean up urine and change clothes, that kid is not potty trained. I'm sorry. You might not be in diapers, but she's not potty trained. And so So with my son, with my son, everyone was like, yeah, everyone was like, you're going to potty train. So at two, I was like, yeah. So we did the whole like naked method. I read that popular book. We did all of that. He was not ready. So I said, this is just causing issues with our relationship because I was getting mad. I was getting frustrated. Like you said, we couldn't go anywhere because I'd be like, you need to pee before. He didn't understand it. Then he'd stand up, have an accident. So I was like, we're done. So then fast forward, everything with my mom happened, um, with her getting really sick. And so I just kind of put it on the back burner. And then one day he was kind of like, I'm ready. And it was the week of his third birthday. And I was like, okay. He just basically potty trained himself. He had one accident and it was like, had to be like a year and a half later. And that was like when we were traveling. So I'm like, that was out of his comfort. Anyways, I went to the doctor for his third birthday and she's like, so are we potty trained? And I was like, yeah, we just did it this week. We're late to the game. And she was like, no, you are not. She was like, especially for boys Mm -hmm. around age four is actually the average. And I was like, wait, no one says that. And she was like, yep, it's a secret that parents don't talk about because they think you should be potty trained at two. She was like, you're ahead of the game. And I was like, oh, and it was eye opening. And then with my daughter, we were like, okay, well, let's wait till she's ready. And she got to the point to where she thought it was funny when she pooped in her diaper and people would change it. And she would ask us, can I pee in my diaper? Um, and then she, yes, it was so right? cute. <laughs> and then she wanted us to change her right that second. Cause she didn't like the feeling. And I was like, okay, girl, you're yeah. done with this. We had a really rough week because she, like I said, is very spirited and wants to be in control, which there's nothing wrong with, but it did make potty mm-hmm. training a little hard. Once we got over that hump girl was golden, barely any yeah. accidents. And she, I think she was three also. Yeah. And if your mother-in-law or your mom is telling you so-and-so was potty trained at two weeks, bravo to that kid, but it's not every kid. Yeah. Well, and I always say when people said that to me, well, with my second, with my first, I was much more, I felt the pressure, I guess. 
Um, yeah, I would everyone always be knows like, what the first. oh, wow, they're really developmentally advanced because my child is not developmentally ready to potty train. Their body isn't sending them those signals. Like, wow, good for them. Like kind of rude, sarcastic, no, but it's I know. true. If you look it up, like kids' bodies are not ready. So you're forcing this, they're going to have accidents. And then depending how you act about those accidents, they're going to see it as a negative thing. And their body is doing this awful thing when it's like, they just weren't developmentally ready. So Josh is a 41 year old man that still remembers like shame things from when he was a young child regarding potty things. And like, he is a, I know. And like, so don't think that like, oh, they're kids. They're resilient. They won't remember. They Mm -hmm. do if they're. Yeah. Uh, and then it's teaching them shame about their body. And so I always have friends that'll come to me when their kid is like 18 months or two. And they're like, we're getting ready to potty train. Send me all your tips. And I send them one and I'm like, wait until they're ready. If I could go back and tell Janelle with a two-year-old, any two tips, Janelle with a baby, any two tips and all mothers, any two tips, don't beat yourself up over potty training and don't beat yourself over up over breastfeeding because I yep. really beat myself up over breastfeeding Me and too. forced it and acted like there was no other option. And I, mm-hmm. if I were to have another baby and had the slightest inconvenience with breastfeeding, I would switch to formula so damn fast my head mm-hmm. would spin. Um, with that, Jenna's going to tell us her on new one. Passies. Passies. Um, so I mentioned I had a hard time with breastfeeding. So my daughter, I didn't do a passy with my son, except he was still hungry after he would get a bottle. So I would stick a passy in because he just wanted that, I think, sucking. Yeah. So it was never an issue. Like basically once he stopped bottles, it was never an issue because he we didn't use passies really. with bottles. Yeah. Yes. People, first of all, say passies are not to be used if you're going to breastfeed. Um, my daughter had no nipple confusion. We gave her a passy day one. Actually, the doctor did the midwife actually, because she came out of the womb, very happy and content. I started nursing her and homegirl stayed awake for almost 12 hours, just wanting to suck. And the doctors kept being like, why is she still awake? And they were like, I think she just needs a little comfort. So they gave her a passy and girl knocked out. So then I was finally able to sleep and she just needed that. And that has been her personality since the time she was born, the she jump. needed that sucking yeah. mo like thing. I don't know, just something with her and that I guess it's like a tactile thing, but yeah, she has been addicted to passies and we've only really used them for sleep occasionally when she was a toddler. Well, she's still the toddler. When she was little, she would find one and grab it and I wouldn't say anything, but we didn't like give them to her all day. She didn't really ask about him except when she was going to sleep. And I went to the doctor, no, to the dentist when she was three. And I was like feeling really self-conscious. And I was like, I'm sorry about her. First of all, I shouldn't have even apologized. I was like, I'm sorry about her teeth. Like we haven't given up the passy yet. And he was like, okay, like when does she use it? And I was like, to sleep. We don't use it for naps anymore. Just bedtime and in the car because the few times she hasn't had it, she's gotten car sick. And he was like, let her live her life. And I was like. What? <laughs> we had tried to give it up once Again, and it was the worst experience. Yes. And so then just a few weeks ago, she was like, I'm done. I want to be done. And she gave up the passy. She still uses it for the car, but I can't tell you 
how much shit we got over like, oh, she's over two. Why does she still have a passy? Well, because she needs it to go to sleep. And so until she learned how to self, I have a hard time with this word, self-soothe, which that skill, thank you, took her a little longer to develop. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to take it away um, Mm -hmm. because she needed that. And so we let her have it. Honestly, I think it's, what is it? Age five. If they give it up before, I think it's like four or five. Four, I think. Then their teeth aren't severely impacted. And I've already noticed her teeth have started to close up. She had that like open bite where when she bites down, like her top teeth don't overlap her bottom and it's already started to close up. And I was like, Oh, cool. That's the same. I mean, we had a thumb sucker until he was six. Mm-hmm. I think the dentist was like, he's going to need braces regardless. Yeah. And mm-hmm. his bite has changed already a ton. And so even if your kid's still sucking his thumb at six in his bed, he's also going to live and grow up to be a normal adult. So exactly. it's kind of my aunt always told me, will this issue with your child most likely remedy itself by kindergarten? If so, disregard it. And now I have extended mm-hmm. that to like, will this issue remedy itself by the time he is 10 if yes most likely yep. then I let it go so for Mikey it's like kinder will he be over this by kindergarten yeah he's probably gonna stop biting people by kindergarten so who cares will yep. Zach stop sucking his thumb by the time he's 10 yeah so who mm-hmm. cares but like as a first time mom I couldn't not care about any of those no. things so was he originally a passy baby or is he he was passy but went thumb as soon as he could figure it out Okay. And then disregarded all passies. And then Mikey was full passy until I think three. And then he was sleeping with passy. And then we just kind of like took passy away at nap and then like said like, hey, do you want to try to sleep without it tonight? And it took him a long time. to. Mikey's just an easy kid. Yeah. I mean, he's a lot mentally during the day, but like all of those like check it off Mm -hmm. on the chart milestones. He just is like cool to do it. But Mikey was full passy full time until three. And then just was like, okay, cool. We're over it. Right. All right. That sounds good. And you have to think like, I don't know. I think parents get caught up in the, they have to do this by X, Y, Z versus why are they doing it? The thumb sucking and passy is because they're soothing themselves. Like, yes. and then you take that away. Like you need to at least like replace it or teach them coping mechanism or wait until they're developmentally ready to fall asleep on their own. Like, and some kids or just do need you it more. as an adult even have the coping mechanisms. Like if your yeah. kid sucks his thumb or needs a passy or needs to wear a pull-up to feel safe at a play date with a friend, if their mm-hmm. tummy's feeling funny, let them live. We're adults yeah. and we're not even good at this stuff yet. No. And don't be like, it's a secret, like just yes. teach them ways to stand up for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, along with that, my daughter was in a crib until over three. Cribs um, are the best. Keep them in them as long as possible. Yeah. With my son, we switched at like 18 months because yep. everyone that said to. That was what the rule said to do. The unwritten rule book. Yep. We should write the rule book and oh become gosh, famous. We should. And it was a huge transition for him with my daughter, we waited until she asked. It was easy. I will say not everyone has this luxury because she was our last baby. So had we been expecting another, I would have pushed it just to save money. Yes, (laughs) exactly. You get out of the bed when the next, um, exactly. Yes. But with her, it was, she finally started, she noticed your boy's beds 
and was asking about that and then was asking about Ezra's bed and said she wanted to try it. So Ezra was like, you can try my bed. So for a nap, a few naps, she slept in his bed and she was like, I'm ready for a big bed. And she was over three. She loved her crib. She slept great. And so I was like, I'm really, I love my sleep. So I was like, I'm not going to mess with sleep. And if I ever like took a picture of her sleeping and posted it, so many people would be like, wait, she's still in a crib. And I'd say, yep. End of story. Like Mikey happy was in a sleeping. crib until he was the same older than yeah. her. I think my, Mikey was in a crib until we moved to the apartment. So he was well over three yeah. and he was giant. Like his head was touching the top and like his feet were basically touching Aww. the bottom and people would be like, that doesn't even look comfortable. And I was like, they'll tell you if they're not, they won't be sleeping if they're not comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like he'll let me know. He loved having like his little side, his side yes. rails and like, Oh, if I could still sleep so in a happy. crib, I would. <laughs> All day, no one could get to me. I would love a mom size crib if we're being right. Good <laughs> exactly. getting my bed in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing is it keeps them contained so they don't wander the halls at night. I know the best. <laughs> and Mikey, well, never and even cared. What, yeah, when we potty trained, people were like, "Well, doesn't she need to be in a big girl bed?" And I was like, "She can't pull her pajamas down on her own, so she has to call for us anyways." She's not confident to walk down the hall in the middle of the night and just go to the bathroom. So she calls for us. So like, it doesn't matter if she's in a crib or a big kid bed at all when you potty train. So we really doesn't did everything kind of like reverse order. We potty trained, then switched the crib, then took the passy. So there's not like a linear timeline of how things can work with kids. Also, this kind of goes with like younger kids. A lot of these are younger kids. I think this is our last like little younger kid one being quote clingy slash wanting to always be with their parents. Embrace that. Mm -hmm. They will not grow up to be, well, they could adults living in your basement, I guess. I hope they do. (laughs) Exactly. There's a reason that they're wanting that. And Mm. I think losing my parents has made me realize like if my kids want me as a comfort, I'm going to embrace that because I don't have that. Um, I was the same way. And my mom never made me feel bad. I just was with her all the time. Um, Even as an adult, like when I had bad anxiety attacks, or even if I was sick and I was at college, I was like, I just want to go home because that was my comfort. So I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I do hear things like, especially since we homeschool. Oh, well, you need to send them to school because they're going to get too clingy. They're going to get too attached. They need to toughen up. So send them to school. Why? Why do they need to toughen up? This is part of their personality. It's something that they need. So can we just embrace it? And yes, my kid can lay on me and cuddle me and be as close as they want. Sometimes they get annoyed, but I'm going to let them. Sometimes I've had one too wrong. many boo elbow boob contacts for the day. Oh my gosh. Break. But like, I also just think that this rush to toughen up kids mm-hmm. is a very strange American phenomenon that isn't yes. practiced in other countries. And um, I was reading an article about this yesterday, and I think we could probably post it on Instagram. Jenna will remind me because she's a reminder of Instagram posts, but you do not need to toughen up your kids because you are their safe space and you should be their place to land when things fall apart and you should be their person that they can come to to ask tricky questions and let the world around them happen. But you're not the toughen up person. You're the safe, squishy landing pad 
where they can lay on you and feel your heartbeat and just know that things are okay because mom, dad, grandma, whoever caregiver is that's going to love on them is there. And there's also not a need to force kids into the world before they're ready to get toughened up. That Mm -hmm. is just a only American belief. And if Mm -hmm. you read from any other country, especially the countries with the happiest kids, if you Google countries with happiest kids and happiest adults, none of them are practicing this um, toughen up strategy. It is not something that is making psychologically advanced children and adults. Toughening up kids. My dad tried really hard to try this toughen up thing on my brother, and my brother is not that kid, and it did not mm-hmm. work. Zach is not that kid. It will no, not work. Not. No. Can you imagine if I was like, Zach, time to toughen up? Zach would be like, I'm moving out. Like, exactly. It's not in his DNA. And no. it's just, we have to recognize our kids' strengths and weaknesses yes. and embrace them and try to like spin them into something positive for yeah. Zach is never. And why do they have to toughen up? Like, yeah, yeah what the are world we is a bitch, but can't we just raise kind kids that are empathetic? Because I think that's a better quality than toughening Agreed. up. I think Agreed. teaching them coping mechanisms is going to work, yeah. but if they're just sitting there and you can't change their innate DNA. So if they're just sitting there and bottling all this up and have no safe place to express it or to decompress, like yeah. that's not a healthy individual. Well, so. yeah. And that's the same thing we, you and I have talked about that we, to a healthy extent, will have disagreements with our partners in front of our kids mm-hmm. because we want to normalize it for our kids because I don't know. Yeah. I think we've talked about this on other podcasts with you. And if we haven't, tell me and I'll remove this. But like, your parents didn't fight in front right. of you and then exactly. just surprised you one day with a divorce, yeah, we're divorced. which rocked your world. And mm-hmm. my parents never came to a conclusion in a fight. They would fight mm-hmm. like crazy people for two day- for a day. And then one of them would leave for a day or two and then just come back yep. and we'd all just eat dinner together like nothing ever happened. And those aren't Wait, we're not toughening up kids by showing them either of those scenarios, but Mm -mm. by showing our kids that a mom and a dad or a same sex partners or whatever relationship you're in, grandparent caregivers can have a disagreement, come back together. Everyone still loves each other, everyone is still here. That's building somebody that's going to have a healthy relationship and also know when to walk away from a relationship. Mm -hmm. I do not ever want to raise kids that don't know when to call it quits in a relationship because I've stayed in so many relationships so much longer than I should have because I didn't know when to call it quits because my parents would just come back together and pretend nothing ever happened. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think my brother and I also had an unrealistic expectation for relationships because- it was all behind closed doors. So we just saw perfection. Yep. There would be instances when we would notice some tension and in our minds just bottled it up and you just deal with it. And that's not healthy either. So with that, um, we do argue in front of our kids and I know you do too. And we teach our kids, um, language. So I cuss in front of my kids. I know you do as well. However, I don't cuss out people in front of my kids, or I don't say, Oh, "Oh, Janelle was being such a bitch today or whatever. I don't use it to describe people. And I tell my kids that I don't let my kids 
cuss because my son was abusing it. So before it was like, if you have a very strong emotion, you can use it at home. However, and I explained to him like school doesn't deem it appropriate and a lot of other families don't. And so it's something that you can use in the house. Like if you notice how mom talks at home is a little different than in society. I don't filter a lot of my language, but I do kind of read the audience because I don't want to be disrespectful to people. That well, yeah, you're not at like, cussing. you weren't at preschool drop off. Like, oh, it was just a shit show morning and, you know, <laughs> exactly. fucking wouldn't get his shoes on. Like, but yes, I would say that know to how you. To, but we're adults <laughs> and know how to moderate ourselves for yes. different situations, which kids don't. But and this is wasn't. another. Yes. But yeah, and he, so he lost his privileges, but I don't think, mm-hmm. and we've never talked about this, our, his privileges aren't permanently revoked. No. When he learns to modulate appropriate usage again, my kids have lost them too. Uh, They were going through a phase where they were repeat. We were listening to a lot of pink and they were repeating and calling each other a little bitch because one of her songs (laughs) like somebody's a little bitch. Oh, the nurse is a little bitch in one of her songs. And so Mikey was like, you're a little bitch. And I was like, okay, well, you're done. You're not allowed to use those words for a while. But then like, when they describe feelings or my like favorite of all time was when I was really in a bad mood and I was strapping Zach in and he was hard to get in his seatbelt and that was hot and it was raining mm-hmm. and I was jerking him around and he was like, why are you being such a dickhead? And I was like, I am being a dickhead. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. You're right. But we've talked about the same thing is like other parents don't appreciate it. So we don't do it. Uh, teachers don't appreciate it. So we don't do it. We don't want to do it around other kids because we don't know their parents feelings Mm -hmm. about it. It's kind of like I don't walk into a party and I'm like, hey, what's up? I'm a vegan. I am not sure if I believe in Jesus. Like you don't need to open with swearing. If you're a kid, just like you don't need to open with like your medical ailments as an adult. There's appropriate times to have conversations. And I am not against my kids using swear words because I use them and I think it's funny and I think it highlights conversation. But it's another form of we're scripting a life for Mm -hmm. them that they we hope that they can learn to modulate the appropriateness of certain things in certain contexts and how things make them feel. Yeah. So we're not going to stifle a big word feeling from them that maybe is the only way they can describe how upset mm-hmm. something makes them. I'm never going to exactly. punish my kids from being like, he really fucking hurt my feelings because yeah. I have really had my fucking feelings hurt. And sometimes you mm-hmm. need that word to describe it. And we personally take away the word bad when we talk about it. We say cuss word or something along those lines because it's not a bad word unless Ooh. you're using it. <sighs> It's hard to say exactly. Like, I'm not going to sit there and call my friends a bitch. But if my husband's being rude, I will say like, oh, you're being a dick. But I won't say like, you are a dick. I guess that's what it is. I don't sit there and point fingers. And I don't sit there and like gossip talk bad about people, which I don't just do in general in front of my kids at all. Like if I have a grievance with somebody and it's really strong and I need to like get it all out, I'll tell my husband in private. I do talk about like issues I have in front of my kids but I don't put down people in front of them. Well, and I think the way that you and I use you're being a dick is Mm -hmm. our kids have a lot higher threshold for language. And Mm so you're, you're being a dick to your husband is the equivalent of someone else like being like, you're kind of in a funk, aren't you? Yeah. Our kids have a lot higher pain tolerance for those words. And I'm not screaming at him. Like, you're such a dick. Like, 
Yeah. It's just how it's going at the That's moment. That's for after so. bedtime that we exactly. stream it. Um, and I also, <laughs> <laughs> I also think it's important that we touch on the fact that, like you said, so just for everybody in the North, we call them swear words and y'all in oh, the South call them cuss words. Funny. And, but I know, yeah, because I didn't, no one called it cussing until I moved to Richmond. And I had never, I mean, I'd heard it because I had a boyfriend from Texas in college. And so I'd heard of it being called cussing. Yeah. But no, it's all swearing there. And we don't call them bad words. Like last night, Mikey was in the driveway and he was like, oh shit, I dropped that. And I was like, Mikey, you don't need to use shit for that. Because oh, like, see, goes, we oh do. shoot, I dropped, <laughs> oh shoot, I dropped that. But Mikey will just really see how many he times he can get it in in a day. That's Ezra, and, yeah. Yeah. And so, but we also like, what's the worst word? Like, we'll say like, what is the worst word? And they'll say, oh, hate or idiot. Mm-hmm. Like, stupid. Hate, yeah. hate, idiot, and stupid are far more likely to get you in big trouble in this house exactly. than the F word. <laughs> yes, same here. And I think- you are saying that to someone or you are saying that to bring down someone. Right. And saying like, oh, fuck, I dropped that versus I hate that guy because he's an idiot. No, not even comparable in my book. I just don't filter a lot of language in front of my kids because I feel like I was more sheltered. And I remember the first time I learned the F word and a friend told me and I was just like appalled. And then I learned the word sex and it was like, oh, my gosh. And I was probably like first or second grade. So now my kids know these words and I think it's just going to be less of a culture shock to them. And let's face it in society, they've already heard these words, whether it's on the radio Mm -hmm. or people talking anywhere, like you hear these words, even words like hate, stupid idiot that we don't like. It's in their cartoons. Yeah. If we start talking about it and teaching our kids how to use it appropriately, it's not going to be such a culture shock. And the first time they hear somebody screaming and using cuss words, they're going to listen more to the message and be like, this person is really upset. And so if we just teach them how to use that in a normal way, I think it's going to be less of a culture shock to them. My kids have heard me cuss since day one. I'm not cussing out people, but they have heard it. We've seen arguments just in society and they've heard people cussing and they always say like, oh, they must be really upset because they're using a lot of big words. And I'm like, yep, they are. So you're taking the power away from the word and giving the power to the message and the feeling behind it. Exactly. And I think there's a way to use non-cuss words in, like you said, such a mean way that is way Mm -hmm. worse than cuss words. And so we are the same way. We don't use the word hate. We use the word dislike. My daughter is on a hate kick right now. And so all will. So if your kid's saying hate, we're not here to judge because we get hate. I, Zach, twice this week has had, I hate Mikey. I wish I had a different brother. Yes. And like, okay, so then we're going to narrate for you again. Yep. I don't think you hate Mikey because that means that you would lose all the fun things you get to do with Mikey. I think maybe you're feeling frustrated. Do you feel frustrated inside? Can you tell me what he did to make you feel that upset that you would use such a big word? You're not a shit parent if your kid's saying they hate stuff because they all Oh, my daughter's been saying she hates me, so. Oh, that's spicy. And then she comes later like. I love you. So I know. Uh, Back the other day. And I like, don't put up with it either. Like I'm not yes. I 
we were in the RV and she said she hated me. And I was like, if you use the word hate, that means you want nothing to do with that person. You never even wish they were here. That is an extreme word. So I am going to leave for a while because that is what you are telling me you need right now. And it's really like so helped hard. her use it less. Like she hasn't used it the last like three days, but well, you have to be a really to big person her, like, to disassociate from your kid telling you they hate you and to make it into a lesson mm-hmm. like you did. You and then I'm like, really, but I still love you. So. I know. That's what my aunt always said. Whenever one of her kids would say, I hate you, she'd say, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I still love you no matter yep. what. And with that, we talk about everything, body parts. I know you've heard us talk about yep. sex. We start talking about it as early. Well, we talk about it openly in our family. And then my son has had a lot of questions, like I've mentioned. So we answer them. However, we do it age appropriate. We use those words and body part words appropriately and don't elicit shame. We talk about periods as well. And that's I will a big say, one. That one is yes. very controversial still. Even women posting. I posted something on Instagram about my period today and I was like, people aren't going to like this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we have to understand like you're talking about your period with your kids is considered controversial by a lot. I got told some things need to be kept private. And I know we've mentioned periods on here before. I will say I was talking to a girlfriend who has an older daughter And her daughter recently started her period. And she said that they have talked openly in their family about it. And her daughter did not feel embarrassed and talked about her period. She said, like any other bodily function and talked about it with her dad. And I was like, that is the most beautiful thing. Because I was so embarrassed when Mm -hmm. I started. And when my mom told my grandma, and like, let's celebrate this. Like, this is something your body is supposed to do. And guess what? None of us would be here if they didn't exist. And if you choose to have babies, that's how that goes. Like that's a part of it. And like, if you don't choose to have babies, bless you because it's a lot of work. I'm very pro people making choices for their own happiness. And talk about it with your boys because they're going to have friends that are girls. They Mm -hmm. might have a daughter. They might have a wife. They might just be with women in society. And if we can just normalize this like a heart, like- it's part of body. Like, let's just nor it's a it's a bodily function we cannot control and cannot help, and it's yeah. normal. So let's normalize it. it. And I just thought that was so pretty and beautiful. Oh my god! But see, that's like exactly that. what you and I were talking about. Is like if we yes. can talk about it and make it normal when it finally happens, it won't be a shame spiral. It'll be something no. celebrated. And we got now that you told that story, we yep. know that it really does work. Exactly. We were just hypothesizing, yeah. and now we know that it actually works. And these young girls who start their period at school or aren't sure how, how scared to use you were things. That you get your oh first gosh. period at school, oh. or even like. Not even your first one per se, but like, you know, you never know exactly when it's going to happen and being so scared that it would happen at school. And like, if we can teach the men in our lives as well, that it's normal and that they can help women when this happens, not be like, oh my gosh, did you see like, oh, do you need help? Like here, let me help you. Or It was so shameful when we were kids that remember you wouldn't even tell your friends when you started Mm -hmm. getting your period. You just totally were like, it was my... DDS, which is deepest, darkest secret. Oh, and my one friend that started didn't even tell her mom. She had me like smuggling her pads. Yeah, I was living with my dad full time at the time. I think I remember I've told the story on here before where I had to call my mom on the phone and ask her how to 
use a tampon because I had to go to a swimming party like my second cycle or something. And it was awful and hard and I couldn't do it. So I think I just stayed home. But I don't know how – my dad was always really cool about it and didn't care. Josh is the same way. Like I've talked about it on the podcast. I don't feel like my dad was like that. And chances are this will happen to my daughter. And if her and my husband are as close as my dad and I were, like it'll happen when she's with him. So (laughs) he just is so cool, calm, and collected. And I love that because he didn't even grow up with like sisters. So I don't know where that came from, but God bless him for it. So I don't, yeah, Josh was just a single child to a mom, but his mom was rad and like, but I think that brings us full. So you have always used anatomically correct body parts for your kids. Mm-hmm. I am just learning. Okay, so our other friend that we've talked about on this podcast, her name's Becky, and I'm just going to start saying it, recommended um, It Wasn't the Stork or It Isn't the Stork. And it's a book about where baby, the whole baby. And my kids are obsessed with it because my kids love the human body. Yes. I was terrified when I got to the page with the two adults in the bed together that was going to talk about how the like, I think they described it as like a special hug you do where the penis Mm -hmm. goes into the vagina and releases the sperm. And I was like, (gasps) I was full sweating. My voice was like quivering, even though public speaking is like one of my favorite things. And I just read the page and they've never asked to go back to the page. I want when they hear the word sex for it not mm-hmm. to feel disgusting. I remember hearing yeah. the word sex and feeling like it was disgusting to Purity hear that culture, word. Purity culture, baby. Yep. Purity culture up, down, side to side. Like I want sex to be a word that my kids hear and are like, oh, yeah, the yeah. thing where the parents do the thing in the bed, like boring. And they talk about how it can not just be a man and a woman and it can also happen in um, a petri dish, and it can also happen mm-hmm. uh, where like a doctor that. inserts the sperm into the woman, and how there's all different types of families. The book opens with like boys like karate, girls like karate, Aww. girls like knitting, boys like knitting. Like that's the whole first that's page. Cute. It's the greatest fucking book. And so what our goal is to just read the book front to cover. We're three fourths of the way through because it's like sixty really in depth pages with a lot of mm-hmm. questions, and. Then come back to the topics they want to talk about so that as their world changes, they can keep evolving with deeper and deeper questions. Right now, they have yes. no interest in the mommy and daddy page in the bed. Because no, it they might not be know. age appropriate right now. But in like you said, minds. that's what their brains aren't there yet. Like you were saying right. on another episode that I was re-listening to for something, purity culture maybe, that your kids don't haven't felt sexual feelings. So reading right. about sex is of no interest to them. No. Exactly. Like, I don't feel any sort of feelings when my kids want to go look at dinosaurs at a museum right? for two hours. So I let my But they probably get them. all like tingling. Oh, they are on it. <laughs> yes. And so like, I will come back to that page when they want to come back to that page and I'll leave that book out so they can mm-hmm. read about it whenever they want. And I want them to know that I'm a person they can come to and be like, so, so-and-so is having sex. Um, I might end up having sex. So what should we do? Like, I don't want them to be going to the underground clinic like I was begging for condoms. Like, it's not. If you haven't heard that, listen to a birth control episode. (laughs) Yeah. Let's like normalize all that shit. Normalize sex. Um, And you will get pushback. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have. Tell us about your pushback so we can all – okay, some things should be kept private. I have heard my mom's side of the family, um, not everyone, but like the younger generation of us I think are teaching correct body words. So we were in the car yesterday even and Mikey was saying something and he was like, well, your vagina. And I was like, well, 
Yeah, remember we read in the book, that's the part that's inside of me. What are the outside parts called? And he was like, vulva and clitoris. And Josh was like, do we need to be teaching a four-year-old that? I had this conversation with him before I started. I said, I want to have a like heart-to-heart with you basically and tell you, I am intending to start teaching the kids about sex and anatomy. I'm going to be very open and honest about it. Is that going to be an issue for you? And he was like, no, not an issue. And then clearly realized like, oh, him knowing vagina is not an issue, but like the more sexual parts made Mm -hmm. him uncomfortable. And so I said, we talked about this before I did it. I told you I was going to be very clear and open. But again, in going back to purity culture, talking about the female clitoris is not mm-hmm. considered. I think, honestly, if we're being very transparent, I don't think talking about the clitoris with male children is considered appropriate by a vast majority of people because it is just a female sex organ. It is only mm-hmm. for pleasure and therefore yeah. something dirty. I did mm-hmm. not know the word clitoris until I was in college. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. That is not what I want for my boys. I don't want my boys thought of as like dirty and yeah, let's take that. I I always when I started learning about it, I was like, oh, so that's like something that like porn stars use probably, right? right? Like, no, it's really really fucking important. Why is it when I say to him like your scrotum and Mm -hmm. your testicles? Shouldn't be any different. But it was funny to see Josh's visceral reaction. And then he was like, we agreed on this. Okay. Yep. Let me <laughs> take a breath. It's parts. A, and it's not normal for you and I either. Like, let's just Mm-mm. say that. Like, it's Mm-mm. it's been a learning curve for us and it's been mm-hmm. uncomfortable. It's not like we're just like these crazy up-to-date I was women. still calling Mikey's we- Mikey's penis is weenie this morning. He was standing yeah. outside my door with no pants on. And I was like, you're supposed to be putting your weenie in your underpants, not standing outside my door. <laughs> and I was like, oh, come on, start using penis. You can do it. <laughs> like I was trying to like hype myself up, but I still couldn't do it. Yeah. Cause it's not what we're that word was to. so frowned upon in my upbringing. Yeah. So let's go from sex to school. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh yeah. Okay. We're going down our quick list of all the things that we this do. Is, that- I think- the last one that I could personally think of, I'm sure there's a ton more, especially if you ask my grandma, she'd be, it's funny though, because my grandma, like, Marilyn come on and right? tell us all the things that she thinks that we're doing that are insane. She <laughs> used to say a lot and every now and then she'll say something, but now I think it's, she's just like, okay. Like, Jenna's nuts. Let her, let yep. her be. Exactly. And, you know, not having parents. Well, I personally know a lot of parents that tell their kid, adult kids still what to do. And I told my mom, I was like, when I have kids, like, don't tell me what to do. I'm not going to take that well. And she never did. But the thing is I would go to her for advice. So she wasn't like telling me what to do. I was asking for it. But the fact that I haven't had an adult figure tell me what to do in so long, if someone tries to, it's not It's the worst part about not having an adult authority figure as an adult yourself is, I mean, it's the worst and the best thing because I can't Mm -hmm. imagine teaching my sons about clitorises and vulvas if my dad was still alive. Like, he'd be like, gross, stop. Like, And it's like, this is how we do it. This is how we are now because we don't have anybody to tell us not to. So maybe we can give you some of our strength to do what you would do if you had no one to tell you not to. Right. Exactly. Well, and I think it's also given us, we've talked about this 
personally, kind of like the motivation to like, who gives a fuck? This is what we're going to do. We have one life and it could be 50 years, unfortunately, like our parents, which means we're more than halfway there. So we're going to do what we want to do. I was just thinking about that while I was (laughs) drinking coffee this morning. I was like, man, when you lose a parent, you realize that life is short is not a cliche. And I want to do as many things in my life and move as many times and be as many people in this one little Mm -hmm. short moment on earth as I can be and raise kids that are going to make the next generation as nice and rad as possible. And then like my star can burn out like because it goes so fucking fast. It does. Exactly. Well, and so with that, like, I know you guys have heard that we're homeschooling. We're homeschooling next year. Y'all are too, right? Yep. Yep. And this is not just like for homeschool parents, because I don't see homeschool as our forever. I don't see anything as our forever. We kind of take everything one step at a time, one year at a time. We're an RV family right now. That's the season we're in. In two years, we might not be. We're a homeschool family. Next year, we might not be. And first of all, that's okay. You don't have to conform to anything. And when I join these homeschool or RV groups, I always am like, I'm not full time. I'm not not fully invested. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not fully invested in anything because I have changed my beliefs. I have changed my ways so many times that I just don't fully commit to anything. Um, for the most part at this point, I think I'm going to be vegan for life. But who knows? Yeah, like, I think I happen. will too. But, but yeah. like, what if science comes out tomorrow and is like, kale is slowly killing us. You Y'all need to eat plants. Are like, <laughs> or you, you need to eat animals. Yes, right. So I, I can't say anything is forever minus the fact that I'll love my kids. Janelle and I both gave our oldest an extra year. And I don't know about you, but I got a lot of shit for that. Uh, um, a lot. We were just talking about this with neighbors this weekend. Even I was like, "Oh yeah, I held him back so he would have been six going into kindergarten, correct?" Mm-hmm. And they yep. were like, "Oh, you can just do that." And I was like, "Yeah, that's really common mm-hmm. in Minnesota, where I'm from. Yeah. Um, way less common in Richmond, Virginia, and apparently very uncommon here. And you can just do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you don't feel comfortable, just be like, "Oh, my school, my kid started school in a different state." And the, cause like the rules in Texas are completely different. Uh, Ezra would have been at this level he's at right now. But the fact that we started school in Virginia, the birthday cutoff is completely different. I always like to focus on like imaginary lines drawn on a piece of paper, define what year a kid would go to school in one side of the mm-hmm. line that's imaginary versus the other side. So that just goes right. to show you that you know your own kid because yes. a state guideline is just an imaginary line that is separate mm-hmm. from the imaginary line next to your imaginary line. That's so true. <laughs> and I don't personally know anyone who's regretted holding their kid an extra year, keeping their kid no. home an extra year. I know not. Uh, I know the other way. And what's the worst that could happen out of it? And I just remember a lot of people who would say to me like, well, he's ready. He's intelligent. It's more than that, as well as you have to think about their long-term future. And personally, I didn't want my kid going to college at 17. I was a kindergarten teacher. Kindergarten is not like it used to be. It's not coloring and blowing bubbles. It's Mm. testing. It's sitting in a desk. And I wanted to give my kid one more year of being an actual little kid and getting to play on the playground all day and getting to run outside and be in this small little pod because we did preschool. Mm-hmm. And not going full time to school. Like we have to do that for so many years. So 
what's the harm in giving them one more year? Well, and um, we knew that our kids weren't, and we're just speaking from a place of our own children. There are mm-hmm. probably a bajillion four-year-olds that are, Mikey could go oh, to kindergarten yeah. and hack it. Zach and Ezra were not at the, I don't even say maturity level, but they just weren't it at was the social a lot development of it. Yeah. level that yeah. they would have made good kindergarten students. Right. It's honestly no. on, on them. Like yeah. they were not, kindergarten material at the time they should have been in kindergarten and we recognize that in them mikey could get on the bus tomorrow and he would have friends Mm -hmm. and be fine in kindergarten it's such a kid-by-kid basis but we have received our fair share of flack for holding them Mm -hmm. back for keeping them at the low end of expectations for not putting them in competitive sports for all of these things that are considered male normative behaviors And we just want other moms to stop putting so much pressure on themselves because we've put the pressure. I had Zach enrolled in so many activities when COVID Mm -hmm. happened and none of it were, he was passionate about none of them. No. Zero. Well, and you and I also were late to the preschool game. You Mm -hmm. had Mikey in it younger, but with our oldest. And I remember so many people like, shouldn't he be in preschool? Why? Why does he need to be in preschool? I thought those years where it was just the two of us were so special. Granted, we were taking care of my mom, so it was a little different. But I mean, he liked preschool, but given the chance, he would have stayed home probably. Well, it, with the exception of junior kindergarten, our boys loved that. Um, loved and it. can we also it talk about how hour. special that program is? I don't know yes. if it's every school, but if your state city, whatever has a junior kindergarten program, the bonds and the teachers are something special there. So they really are. And they, um, we both made sure I knew and I both toured so many schools mm-hmm. and we made sure we found the one that was play-based and yes. it really just gave them that year of establishing like friendships and right. learning a little bit. And us and too, my, like we still talk to the moms. Like, yes, we all yeah. are still rooting for each other's kids. Like Jacqueline was one of them who was on here recently. Yeah, Jacqueline was on the podcast and she had the same, you know, your kid. And if someone is saying he should really be in preschool, he should really be spending more time out of the house. Let's just go through our little list of like, Zach didn't learn to ride a bike without training wheels until he was seven. Oh, that was another one. Yeah. There's a lot of little like things that you feel shit. And I remember one of the neighbors pulling up and being like, don't you want to be a big boy? Get those training wheels off. And I was like, can we stop Mm. with the don't you want to be a big boy? Because he has his whole life to be a big boy. And if we're all going to be honest, being a big kid sucks huge dick. Yeah. A lot. Let's all be little kids as long as we can. (laughs) Exactly. And like that was my whole thing is I had a great childhood. So I was like, I want to give my kids as long of a childhood as possible. Because I did personally feel the pressure, especially being a teacher, that my kid would know their ABCs by age two. Mm -hmm. They would know their colors, their shapes. They would start to read by age four. My daughter, I haven't done any of that. (laughs) And it's been so freeing. And I'm like, yeah, Yeah. I'm like, there's not going to be, she's not going to go to college and not know her ABCs. Like the fact that she can't sit there and recite it. And when I was a teacher, I had kids that came to me in kindergarten, knowing a few sight words, like beginning of reading. And kids who couldn't even speak in sentences, by the time they were in upper elementary school, it didn't matter. It wasn't like they got a head start in life and now they're this scholar that's going to college at age 12. No, they all eventually hit that milestone developmentally. And it's when their brain is ready and it just clicks for them one day. 
And if it doesn't, then there's probably an underlying issue. And so I'm not sitting here like worried about my daughter. Everything she's picked up has been from either watching her brother or just interacting with other kids. And I would, I'm confident that when she's ready for school, she'll be ready. And I'm not going to sit there and force her to say her ABCs and learn sight words. Like I'm not. And it's like, almost like no matter what you do, you're going to get shit. And so mm -hmm. why don't you do what you think is best for your kid and take the shit and just, and for yourself. Yeah. Like I have gotten both ends of the spectrum. I've gotten the ends where it's like, I get grief, I get shit. And then I've also gotten the ends of like, I wish I could do X, Y, Z. Can you help me? And Mm so I'm just going to do what I think is best for my kids. And my kids are happy and they're healthy and they're thriving in my opinions. If you are sitting here thinking right now, I don't have anything that I feel like my kid isn't up to snuff on. You're lying to yourself and you're lying Uh to us. Please write in and tell us your thing that your mother or your mother-in-law has told you or your neighbor has told you or your girlfriend has told you that your kid isn't doing it. Karen at the grocery store. Mind your business, Karen. (laughs) Should your baby have that passy? Isn't the grocery store a bananas place for parenting advice? I've gotten so much more parenting advice at the grocery store than I have anywhere else. You shouldn't bring your baby out. It's too cold. So you're just going to have my family like starve? Like this was before grocery delivery. Like, yeah. Also, you live in um, a warm climate. I used to bring my kids out in sub-zero to the grocery store. Which is actually healthy for them. Yes. Okay. That's our next podcast where we talk about all the weird shit we do (laughs) that's actually healthy for our kids. We had Elizabeth on. Um, If you haven't listened to that episode, we have a pediatric OT on. She's talking about how kids shouldn't be able to draw a triangle until they're four. And Mm -hmm. we're asking three-year-olds to draw A's. Like, Mm-hmm. That was something I never had thought about. And I was like, why can't Mikey just draw an A? It's not that hard. They are not spatially and cognitively able to until they are older. Mm-hmm. They will try and they will rise to the occasion, as yep. she said. But we're putting these pressures on kids that they're not naturally able to live up to. And so then yes. we're putting a pressure on ourselves, on them. And there's enough shitty pressure in the world without putting additional fake pressures on ourselves yep. and our kids. And how you respond to these people in society is going to show your kids also how proud you are of them and how it doesn't matter. That's a big thing to keep in mind too. We didn't really touch on it much, but activities, if that works for you, awesome. I don't put my kids in activities unless they ask for it. So in the last three years, we have not done a single activity. My daughter has never been enrolled in one. And I'm not worried. If she is meant to be an Olympian, she'll catch up when she figures out that's her passion. And it's not like your kids are sitting around bored. Like Ezra is not in an organized sport, but he's riding his dirt bike around like a mini carry. And he taught himself how to swim this summer. Yeah. Like Zach just wants to be in things that are social. So basically, I just sign him up for like playing free playing outside yeah. groups with other kids. It doesn't And you're have not to- going to lack anything. Like people are like, "Oh, they'll lack discipline." Well, they don't really learn that one at that age that much. And two, no. if they don't have a passion for it, why are you putting them in it? They can learn discipline through other modes. And I love yeah. kids that are sports driven. I would love to have one. I don't. <laughs> I would love I don't if I had a kid that was so good at a sport that we were like at it every weekend. Yeah. You know, I, I'm that mom. Like I'd be yeah. designing the jerseys and holding oh, the fundraisers and doing all of it. it. But they're not into it. And Zach just wants mm-hmm. to go to social things. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to pay. The, dude, we're paying like $300 a month for Taekwondo. And Zach oh just wanted to go there to talk to people. Yeah. Guess so we can talk That's to what people soccer at the was. park yeah. for $0. Mm-hmm. My kids have $0. asked to do horseback riding. And yep, I've even gotten comments like, isn't equestrian for girls? No. 
It's not. Oh um, my god! So we're looking at that into the fall. Uh, did you know it's one of the best things you can do mental health wise because horses Ooh. have like a very soothing mental health presence. Maybe I'll, I'll do send it you too. some articles. Oh, Thank you, you. Would be in heaven. It's like my I favorite. Would. Yeah. So with that, call your therapist and take your meds. 